Hello and welcome to Better Construction with Sean McStay, the podcast where we discuss design and construction techniques, products, and details that lead to a better built environment. All right, and welcome back. Uh, welcome everyone to the Better Construction podcast for this week. Very lucky to have uh, Frank Crawford with us. Frank is a civil engineer. Uh, he's got over 15 years of commercial construction and project management experience. He's very driven and focused on Passive House uh, within his hometown of Calgary, but also uh for all of Alberta, really, uh, working with and a member of Passive House Alberta and aiding that uh, foundation in its quest to promote the Passive House standard throughout the province. So, Frank, thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me, Sean. Awesome. So I'd normally start these off with uh, kind of introducing you to the listeners a little bit. So how about you go ahead and kind of give us you know, a little bit about yourself and how you kind of ended up in the better construction, high performance construction side of the industry? Yep. Thank you. Um, yeah, you did a, a pretty good one. I'll expand a bit. So yeah, I guess when I was growing up, my dad had a small uh, construction renovation company and uh, I went to site with him a few times and then when as my education progressed, uh, I don't know, engineering seemed to be the uh, where I was drawn. So I went and took a civil engineering degree. And then after that, uh, went to work with one of the larger um, commercial uh, general contractors in, uh, in Canada, actually, and worked with them for about 10 years, doing some fairly big uh, buildings. And I guess I was always, I always thought I was doing better than code and uh, doing high quality buildings, but uh, I guess, and Energy efficiency never really crept in. I always thought I was doing it. Uh, but then a little bit later, uh, me and my uh, girlfriend at the time, current wife, wanted to build a new house. And she had heard about Passive House uh, when she was on a kind of work term abroad in Europe, where obviously Passive House has been around for a long time. And she suggested we look at that. So she went and took the six-day uh, passive house course and really liked it and then thought I should take it as well because uh, her background was mechanical engineering so she didn't know as much about the building science uh, and then when I took that six-day passive house course um, myself like a lot of people that take it kind of got our minds blown a bit that really what we are doing isn't really all that good when it comes to energy efficiency and comfort and indoor air quality uh, we're very good at making sure it's safe it won't fall down uh, won't catch fire and the, the plumbing will go, the, the water will go where it's supposed to. But as far as making comfortable houses, it wasn't very good. So uh, learning the, the five main principles of passive house, uh, I definitely wanted to apply that in my house. And then we, uh, me and my wife designed it and then we helped build it. And now we've been living in it for three years. Really once like you, we built it be, because we thought it would be saving money from the energy efficiency. But now that we've been living in, and it's it's really the comfort, the quiet, and the indoor air quality that really stands out. The energy efficiency is obviously there, and the cost savings are obviously there. But uh, it's just such a more comfortable, enjoyable place to live. Now, whenever I go anywhere else, um, it's it's never comfortable, and uh, it's always noisy, and uh, air is a lot drier. So that's kind of why, why now I'm such a big supporter of energy efficiency and high-performance building, because it's... It, it's now getting to the point where it doesn't cost much more and it uh, it gives you a much better indoor living environment, which is where we spend most of our time. Awesome. All right. Well, that makes a lot of sense to me. So as someone who's lived in a passive house for three years, 
compared to previous buildings? You say it's more comfortable. What types of things makes it more comfortable? Because I think that's important for people who haven't experienced these buildings before. Often I find the industry now is focusing on comfort over, say, energy savings. But what it, what what does that comfort look like on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, I guess the one of the ways to do that is that I'll compare it. So one of the first places um, that I moved into is a three-story townhouse. And uh, the basement uh, was a walkout, and it was always colder than the rest of the house. And in the winter, uh, that's where the TV was. So if I went down to watch TV, I kind of had to grab a, a blanket right away and huddle under the blanket to to stay somewhat warm. Uh, the main floor was always yeah, kind of the, the correct temperature, the, the 20, 21 degrees. And then in the winter, the upstairs was okay. But in the, in the summer, the upstairs got kind of over hot or overheated a fair amount because all the heat was rising. Uh, I was fortunate that I had windows on opposite sides. So if I opened the windows, I could get some cross ventilation to cool it off. But uh, it, it definitely wasn't comfortable all rooms, all levels, all year. Uh, and then when I moved in with my girlfriend, now wife, uh, we was into a kind of 1950s, 800 square foot bungalow. And in the winter, you could like literally put your hand over the electrical outlet and feel the draft coming straight in. And the furnace was pretty much running nonstop to to keep it at 18 degrees. But now in my passive house, it's basically 20, 21 degrees all year round in pretty much every room um, all the time. So it's never too hot to sleep. My house was designed with a bit more overheating than we designed for now. So the big open living room, which faces the south and has the big windows, it does warm up a bit. But uh, the bedrooms, which are on the north side, stay cool. So it's always nice to to go to bed in a nice, um, cool, comfortable environment. And because of you've got the airtight windows uh, and the, the 16 or so inches of insulation, there's basically no background noise. Like there's no furnace noise. Uh, there's no sound of traffic. I, we have a train two blocks away and we don't hear the train. Um, basically the background noise in my house is, is kind of the about 20 dBs, which is about the same as breathing. And we're always having the fresh, filtered, um, conditioned, fresh air coming from our ERV uh, into the living living rooms and bedrooms, and it's exhausting out of the kitchens and bathrooms. So all the kind of the, the smelly, contaminated areas are going away, and you're getting the fresh air when you want to breathe. So that's that's kind of what I think comfort should be: is that uh, you you really don't have to change what you wear in the, from the winters to the summer, and you don't have to always be woken up by the traffic or uh, loud noises outside. Yeah, I mean, and then for people listening from outside of Canada, you know, you live uh, in and around Calgary, it's minus 30 or lower sometimes in the winter, it's plus 30 or higher in the summer. And so the fact that your house is maintaining that comfort level all the way across is, is pretty impressive. You did mention one thing that I have heard uh, coming up more and more in conversation with passive house, and that's overheating. I think that's something that some of the first passive houses, both on the residential scale and also on the multifamily and even commercial side, experienced in Canada. What are, what are some of the things that are now being looked at to kind of address that, uh, that concern? So the, the energy model that Passfaust is based on has been around for 30 years, but was started in Europe, uh, and they have a whole bunch of performance metrics. And one of those metrics is an overheating above 25 degrees percentage um, of the days. And because it was in Europe, which isn't all that sunny, officially they allow 10% overheating. 
Um, what we're finding is in definitely in Alberta and other places where it's sunnier, because uh, Alberta has some great solar potential, it's very sunny, that um, we do the overheating at no more than 5%. And unless you're having some type of mechanical cooling, maybe not full air conditioning, but uh, maybe pre pre-cooling of your HRV air or, or some type of mechanical cooling, a mini split or something like that, that we really want to be designing for actually 0% overheating now in, in, the, in the energy model. Um, also because generally in Canada, the world is getting hotter, not colder. So 5% overheating now might be 7 to 10% overheating in 10, 15 years. So you want to be protecting against that. Also, Passivos only does overheating on a building scale. Um, and I think some of the issues that came up with the multifamilies were uh, you have to do it on a kind of suite by suite or room by room scale to make sure that you don't have one or two rooms that are have the big south windows that uh, don't have sufficient overhangs and shading that uh, they would otherwise overheat. Um, I guess one of the other ways that we are Mitigating it is with larger overhangs or exterior, some type of exterior blinds or exterior operable shades that can go up and down as needed. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and yeah, from my experience as well, shading definitely is is something people are looking at. The types of glass that they're using also obviously can affect that. In Vancouver, where I am, very different. We don't have nearly as much sunshine as you guys get, so we have to be uh, you know addressing that in slightly different ways. For your project, did you do any kind of uh, cost calculations on what it would have been if you had built it kind of as you would normally have before versus uh, building it as a passive house? And, and did those how did those work out for you? Um, we didn't actually compare directly code minimum to what we built, but um, I did keep track of all my costs. And since I did all my fair amount of work myself in both uh, design and the construction phase, and my dad helped as well. Uh, so the hard costs for my house were four hundred fifty thousand uh, dollars. I put in about another one hundred twenty-five thousand for if I had to pay myself and had to pay some profit. Uh, and then, if you then put that into a square footage cost for the square footage of the building, it's about three hundred ten dollars per square foot for uh, above grade space. But uh, my house also has a fully developed two-bed, two-bath secondary suite in the basement. So there's some costs to that. So if you go uh, develop square footage, which includes the basement in it, uh, the square footage cost is uh, around $200 a square foot. And those numbers are within the range of a custom one-off home designed to code minimum in, in Alberta. That's really interesting. And I think that's something that people are are definitely finding more and more is is done well, you can get there um, to like a passive house level or in BC, a step five level of performance without spending a ton more uh, than you normally would. I've heard, you know, three to 5% is kind of a fair number if everyone on the project knows you know what they're doing and, and has uh, some training. And so it sounds like that's that's reasonable there as well. Yeah. And in Alberta, we're saying more the the, the five to probably 15% at this stage, just because we need more of the insulation. It also depends within Passive House, there's a few different certification levels. Um, I, when I built it, there was only the kind of what they call the classic now, which is that 15 kilowatts per meter squared per year. Um, but they now have what they're calling the Passive House Low Energy Building Certification, which I think is a horrible name because it doesn't really say anything. But it's, it relaxes the energy demand or space heating demand uh, to 30 kilowatt hours per meter squared. 
Uh, and that's what we're finding is the most cost effective because now you don't have to do the best HRV. Um, you don't need the best of everything. You have more options on how you do it. And that's how we find that you get the best cost effectiveness. The other thing that we I always say when we're dealing with cost is no one buys a house for cash. We all put it on a mortgage. So the capital cost, uh, at least for a home, is kind of irrelevant, assuming you can stay under your mortgage stress test maximum. It's what your uh, monthly cost is, which is the sum of your mortgage plus utilities. And with Passive House, the utility savings from the energy savings are real. Uh, in my house, I save about $210 uh, a month on my utility bills. So uh, I am definitely, um, I believe, saving money from the day I move in, uh, having built to the higher standard. Wow. So taking a step back for a second, you'd mentioned um, earlier in your career, you worked with large engineering firm on some some very large projects and you worked on some lead office buildings and, and commercial space, I believe. What you know, mindset wise doing that work versus doing the work that you do now, what's been kind of some of the big shifts? I think the biggest shift that even Passphos is still doing and the code is now catching up in the energy models is it was the thermal bridging. Like I think back to when I did one of the first lead platinum buildings, uh, we put, I think it was either four or six inches of continuous exterior insulation rock sole on the outside of the building. But then, which sounds really good, it's about an R, R16 or R24 of insulation on the outside. But then we use a continuous metal Z-girt to attach the insulation, attach the siding to that. And we didn't know it back then, but now we know that that reduces the insulation effectiveness by about 50 to 80%. So that what sounded like a really good insulated building really isn't because of a thermal bridge. Um, and I think that was one of the, the blind spots of the industry for, for a long time. We just didn't know to think about it. But now that we do, it, it does make a big difference. That and air tightness. Like code still doesn't actually require an air tightness test. Um, so we don't know how leaky we are. Air tightness is kind of the easiest way to reduce the energy loss. So looking uh, kind of now, um, you're obviously you've been involved with the formation of Pacifels Alberta. Tell us a little bit about uh, the organization, what its goals are, and uh, some of the stuff you guys have been working on to kind of promote that level of performance building in, uh, in Alberta. I guess it started with just a, a group of I don't know, five or seven people like me that were uh, enthusiastic about building to the Passive House standard and wanted to see it, the standard grow and its adoptance uh, increase. Uh, so we have started a not-for-profit to promote that. Fortunately, last last year, we were able to get uh, a grant from Energy Efficiency Alberta before our, our uh, current conservative government defunded them. Uh, and that grant allowed us to kind of start start some work because before then, obviously, funding was a, a challenge and uh, we didn't get much done. But with that grant, we developed and have put on uh, 12 uh, introduction to Passive House courses for both the technical audience and a general public audience. So each of those courses in six locations around Alberta, uh, they started last September. We've finished 11 of them. The last one actually is this Friday in Lethbridge. And uh, yeah, they've they've definitely gone a long way, I think, to uh, uh, promote uh, or increase the, the general public's and the technical audience's awareness of Passive House. Uh, we've had probably about 200 people through the the 11 courses, and uh, all the feedback has been excellent from them. Uh, obviously, it's just a one-day 
quick introduction, but uh, it gives them enough to hopefully tweak their interest to then start looking at some more education or, uh, or options from that. Okay. And so what uh, would you say in Alberta is the biggest pushback that you normally hear from builders um, about building to these higher energy standards, like, like something like a passive house? I, th I think the biggest the biggest gap is just education. They just assume that it will cost a lot more and that it, the materials aren't available or I'm not sure exactly what all it is, but I think it's just education. Once they, once they at least take the one-day course and get some details on how it's done, in the course we uh, include five or six or eight um, case studies of houses that have built been built and have been operating for a few years so we can show them that it does work in this climate. Uh, we go through the costs, so they show them that it doesn't cost that much more. And really, I think I think most builders do want to do a good job. So when you give them these the science and the building science and physics behind it on maybe why they're not doing the best job now, they are accepting of it. Where the pushback is are maybe the larger um, production residential builders that are at this point purely profit driven. Uh, so getting them to move uh, is likely going to take a code change. But the smaller guys that want to kind of differentiate themselves in the market, especially in this somewhat slower market in uh, Alberta, see the advantage of it. Okay. I was speaking to a builder from Alberta a couple of months ago now, and uh, we started talking about uh, some of uh, my products, but then we started talking just in general about kind of higher performance buildings. He was definitely very dismissive of the fact that in Alberta, you could ever build a house that didn't have a furnace and maybe some other type of backup heat source. Do you run into that? What's your experience? Like what type of heating loads are you looking at with your passive house buildings in a true cold climate like Alberta has? Definitely people are always impressed and surprised when you say you don't need a furnace. But again, it's all an energy model. It's all physics. It's all science. Um, when you get about our 45 walls, our 60 plus roofs, um, our 35 below grades. Uh, in our climate, your your peak heating load, uh, like in my house, is about six kilowatts. So I am just meeting it with two or three 15, uh, 1500 watt heaters. They're kind of like, uh, I have the, the nicer ones, but most people might have, or some people might have under their desk, a little 1500 watt electric cube uh, heater uh, that has a little fan. So I have uh, three of those in my house, uh, in the big open spaces, and I have little 400 watt wall heaters uh, in the smaller bedrooms. So yeah, straight, we found that like for equipment costs, the straight electric resistance heating is most often your, your cheapest option when you reduce the demand by 80 to 90%. Electric heat is expensive otherwise, but when you reduce that demand by 80 to 90%, the, the low equipment cost, the virtually no maintenance, and the very low replacement cost, if it ever breaks, uh, makes electric heat uh, a fairly good option. Uh, but there is also some mini splits that are can work down to the minus 25 degrees, um, or you just have them work to minus 10 degrees, so they're more cost effective, gives you some heating, uh, some cooling, uh, and then you just have the re electric resistance back up uh, in the house. But yeah, there's there's 10 or 20 houses that are working without furnaces in Alberta. It, it, it does work. Very interesting. We've started to see in, in the Vancouver market where I'm based, but also in some of the other larger markets around North America, an uptake in 
passive house multifamily. I know you guys have at least one or maybe a few passive house. No, you have at least a few passive house commercial buildings because there's a town hall and there's a car dealership. Are you seeing any multifamily projects starting to uh, you know come into existence in, in probably in Calgary or Edmonton? I would like to say yes, but currently I can't. Um, yeah, passive house works the best with multifamily because then you have more internal people with living in somewhat smaller spaces, but also more of those exterior walls are now a common wall instead of an exterior wall. So passive house gets much simpler as you get built bigger. So the affordable housing, the multifamily housing definitely makes sense. Uh, there's been a few kind of maybe sixplex townhouse complexes uh, in Edmonton. Uh, but right now we're we're still we're still in the education process um, with Calgary Affordable Housing, Edmonton Affordable Housing, all the various affordable housing groups in Alberta to um, explain to them that the option is there because um, it is definitely more more cost effective um, for the multifamilies. But at this point, no, I, there's there is none that I know of that are doing it. And so looking a little bit more into the future, uh, you had mentioned earlier in the interview that some of the track home builders, et cetera, it's going to be code changes that really push them uh, towards adoption. I think that in BC with step code, that has also been the case. People understand that there is an end date and there is requirements that we're all eventually going to get there. Do you see that as something that uh, is kind of slowly happening in Alberta? Is there starting to be a push towards that? What's happening kind of code-wise there? Right now, there won't be any push from Alberta, but fortunately, the national building code, the 2020 building code, is in its final public review phase right now. And from what I have looked at it, I'm by no means a code expert, but from what I've looked at it, uh, it is moving the national building code to a step code similar to BC. Um, so really, it's just going to come down to how fast it gets approved. Hopefully, the 2020 gets actually approved in, and implemented in 2020. It doesn't get delayed for a while. But it will be moving the national um, building code towards that net zero energy ready by 2030, or I think I heard maybe 2032. Uh, and once that comes out, uh, it becomes a lot simpler conversation with builders that, all right, you, by 2032, you have to be net zero ready. So are you either going to totally change all your processes and figure everything out two or three times over the next 10 years, or do you just want to jump to the final ultimate goal now and only do it once? Uh, and I think because there is definitely a cost to changing how you build, changing your processes, but having that cost only once, uh, I think is most people can see the advantage of that over doing a slower, trying to do it two or three times over 10 years. That makes a lot of sense to me for sure. So one last thing with Passive House Alberta, um, what's kind of the vision going forward? You've had the courses so far. They sound like they've been pretty successful, a couple hundred people going through them. Are you looking to continue to do those types of courses, looking to add uh, longer ones? Like what's uh, what are some of the things you guys have talked about? Yeah, we're, we're mainly staying within the, the education and advocacy domains. So we are talking to the various trade universities and colleges in Alberta, the Nates, the Sates, and the Red Deer Colleges about doing some high-performance building education with them, either helping them develop their own courses or co-developing them, or possibly, if we can, just importing the, the current courses that PCIT is, is offering. That would be the simplest solution. Um, but getting everyone to, to share doesn't always work. But there is a, an increasing interest in, uh, in those trade organizations to become a high-performance builders. And, and really, I think in the next five to 10 years, 
it's not going to be high performance building anymore. It's just going to be how you build. And that's really how it needs to be. We need to move from the niche to the, the mass mass market. And we've, we've definitely passed the pilot projects everywhere to show that it works. So we just need to increase the adoption of it. So yes, we're, we're working with other organizations. We're also um, hopefully going to be offering the, the six-day Passive House Certified uh, Consultant course and also possibly the four or five-day Passive House Certified Tradesperson course uh, in Alberta. Wow, that's fantastic. Well, Frank, I really appreciate you taking the time to be on the on the show today. Certainly very interesting to hear uh, what's going on in, in Alberta itself. It's a much different climate. Uh, it's a lot more like uh, kind of the rest of Canada compared to BC as far as being very cold in the winter. And so that was that was pretty good for me. So thanks again for being on the show. You're very welcome. Thank you.